You're listening to the sermon cast of First Presbyterian Church Spartanburg. To watch the full video of this worship service and to learn more about the ministries of our church, visit us online at fpcspartanburg.org. We hope you enjoy the message. Today we continue in our Advent sermon series, which we are calling Witnesses to the Miracle. Each week throughout Advent, we have been visiting with a different character in the story of Jesus' birth, but those characters mainly whom we might otherwise have overlooked. We began with the character of Zechariah, and then the next week, his wife Elizabeth, the parents of John the Baptist. Last week in Morning Song, we visited with the angels, specifically the angel Gabriel, who shows up both to Zechariah and to Mary, and the angels that show up today in our story as well. This morning, though, we will focus instead on a group of people, shepherds, who were tending their flock by night, on the very night that Jesus was born into the world. So friends, let us continue listening now for a word from God as we hear these verses from the second chapter of Luke's gospel, beginning with the eighth verse. Now in that same region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all people. For to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace among those whom he favors. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. And when they saw this, the shepherds made known what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. And Mary Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned then, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and all they had seen, just as it had been told to them. Friends, this too is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in prayer? Good and gracious God, visit us now out in the pasture of this sanctuary. Oh God, let your glory shine. Let your word dawn anew on each of our hearts. Oh God, we pray indeed that your spirit would draw near 
And that through its work, the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts gathered here would be pleasing and glorifying to you. For you and you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. A dear church member named Mary once told me a story about the time that she was cast as Mary in the Christmas Sunday school pageant at her church growing up. Mary's now in her 80s, so this would have been sometime probably in the early 50s or so. Mary went to the scriptures and she read that piece of the passage we've just read where Mary in the Bible story ponders all these things in her heart. And Mary asked her mother what that meant and her mother explained that it meant that she was not to wiggle or talk or look around, (laughs) just to lower her eyes and to think about sweet baby Jesus. However, on the night of the performance, Mary felt pretty sick. Her mother explained to her that she was just scared and that everyone was depending on her, which she supposed was right. And so she went along with it. And when the church darkened and the spotlight shone on her, Mary told me, I was terrified. She remarked that she was also rather hot and itchy and felt quite queasy. But the show went on and she played her part. Some of you just made a groan that sort of indicates you know where this is going. (laughs) After the performance, Mary told me, I pushed through the church members and out into the cold air and promptly threw up in the bushes. (laughs) It turns out, she said, I had chicken pox. (laughs) And plenty of church members were left pondering that situation. For quite some time. Just like Mary in the pageant. Just like Mary so long ago. There's much for all of us to ponder. And this story isn't there. For starters, we're left to ponder the significance of what the angel has to say. I remember reading once that back in Jesus' time, any time a new Caesar was born or even a lesser known royal, there would be a royal proclamation that was sent out across the entire empire. And in this proclamation, it would announce that there was, can you guess, good news to share. For a royal has been born. And in these proclamations, it was not unusual for them to label Caesar as a savior. And all people who fell under this proclamation across the entire empire were compelled to celebrate. Even though for the vast majority who read or heard the proclamation made, the birth of another Caesar, the birth of another royal, All it really meant was one more generation of oppressive rule being born into the world. One more generation of the sliver of rich adding but a bit more to their piles of coin. Coin that was earned largely on the backs of the poor and the needy 
people with jobs like fishermen and farmers and carpenters. Imagine then how the words in our passage today must have landed on the ears of those people so long ago. An angel who comes and says, do not be afraid, for I bring you good news of great joy, not just for some, but for all people. There's much to ponder here, isn't there? It's hard not to also ponder the who of this story, who the angels deliver this news to. Right, Luke's telling of the birth story reads almost like a movie. If you turn to the very beginning of chapter two, the first seven verses, which we did not read today, but we will read on Saturday, it's Luke's telling of the actual birth of Jesus. We can imagine the camera almost zoomed in there on the manger on that, that cold night in Bethlehem. And then suddenly between verse seven and verse eight, the camera zooms out so you see not only the manger, but the entire city and all of the countryside that surrounds it. And the narrator picks up and the camera shifts ever so slightly and like Google Earth, it begins zooming back down on this pitch black piece of darkness. Fields, so far outside the city limits that that light doesn't even reach it, light that doesn't come from the stars at least. And the narrator says, in that same region, there were, who do you think they expect the narrator to fill that blank in with? Right, we've just heard the announcement of a Messiah. In that same region, there were priests. In that same region, there were scholars. In that same region, there were court officials, there were lawyers, there were doctors, there were clean-cut, well-mannered, church-going folks. But that's not what the narrator says. In that same region, Luke tells us, there were shepherds? I promise you, this is not what that original audience would have expected. Now, theologically, of course, it makes sense why Luke tells the story this way. Because announcing the news to shepherds is just one more connection between Jesus and that ancestor down the line from which he has come, another shepherd boy turned king named David. It makes sense theologically. But logically, practically speaking, this doesn't make any sense at all. Shepherds are poor. Right? Shepherds are outsiders and outliers. Shepherds live these hard lives out in the fields. And not only that, but these are not religiously meticulous folks. Right? They're so far away from all the leisures and comforts of city life on a daily basis that even if they had wanted to adhere to all the rules, the ritual rules around purification and food preparation and everything else that goes into a faithful Jewish life, they would have been hard-pressed to do it because they were so far out from having the means and the tools to do any of it. Shepherds. And yet, and yet Luke tells us this is exactly 
who God delivers the news of a Messiah to. And even more remarkable, I think, is the fact that the shepherds, the shepherds become the very first human evangelists. I love this part of the story. It tells us that the shepherds, they, they have the encounter with the angels. They go to Bethlehem. They kneel at the manger. They tell everyone what they've heard. And then what do they do? They return to the fields. They go back to their everyday lives, their normal existence. They go on doing what they have always done. But as they do, they go as people who are now testifying to and sharing the glory of God that they have encountered. They become the very first human evangelists. There's a lesson here in the witness of the shepherds, I think. A lesson that instructs us all on the fact that when we experience God's glory, It doesn't necessarily mean that we never return to the way we were or to the places where we were before, right? If you live up on a mountain and you have that experience, one of those experiences I suspect we have all had at some moment in our lives where suddenly the the world in which we live and the divine, the distance gets so small, we feel ourselves in the presence of God's glory but we don't get to stay up on the mountains. I told the early service, I have a friend who serves as a co-pastor in Highlands, North Carolina. And having now had the opportunity to know her over several years, I've come to appreciate how hard it is to live up on a mountain. You want anything done on your house? Well, you're giving someone two hours away to come do it. You want groceries? They got to come up in a truck. You want gas? Well, you're going to pay for it. I mean, mountains in reality were not designed to be lived on. We all have those mountaintop experiences, but we got to come down eventually. But when we do, the shepherds show us that we don't come down as the same person. We come down changed. We come down ready to testify to and to share a bit of that glory that we have encountered in the incarnate and risen word. It reminds me a little bit of the story of Millard Fuller. Millard Fuller was a self-made millionaire by the time he turned 29 years old. But all that success so early in his life came at a cost. It came at the cost of his health. It came at the cost of his marriage. It came at the cost of his other relationships as well. Around the time he had sort of finally made it, he and his family were on a family vacation and they stopped by a farm outside Americus, Georgia called the Quinonia Farm. And there, Millard Fuller had an experience of God's glory. They intended to just stay a day, maybe two. They ended up staying a few months there on the mountain, so to speak, of Quinonia Farm. But eventually they had to come down And they went back home to New York and continued on with their lives. But they were changed people. So changed, in fact, that several years later, Millard and his wife, Linda, they circled back to the person who God's glory had really shown through, a prophet there at Quinonia named Clarence Jordan. 
And together they decided to start an organization that would share the good news of God's great joy, not for some, but for all people. And they called that organization Habitat for Humanity. See, Millard Fuller, he had the same experience as those shepherds so long ago. And what he discovered was that the manger, the manger that we're all headed towards a little bit later this week, the manger, it's not the destination. The manger is not the destination. Instead, the manger is the starting line. God's word become incarnate. That's not the final say. There's more to the story. The shepherds return to their fields and so should we. You know, I've only been here nine months, but one of the things that has impressed me the most about the ministry of this church are the number of ministries in this congregation that have begun with just one person, in some cases a group of people who have recognized a need and sought to serve it. Sought to serve it with something of God's glory that that individual or those people have experienced themselves. Right, their ministries like Winter Warmth, which we just did a little over a month ago. Someone recognized the need of children in our community going without coats and gloves and hats. Well, we can do something about that. It's ministries like CAST that seeks to care for those who live in motels or ministries like Hand in Hand which seeks to serve for the least and the lost and the lonely, those in our local school systems to provide for their basic needs. Over and over there are stories in this congregation of shepherds who have glimpsed God's glory and gone back to living their lives but as they did so, they noticed needs around them where maybe they could serve others. And it's not just outreach ministries either, right? It's Bible studies and fellowship groups and support groups. Over and over, all of these stories of shepherds, shepherds who are going out into their normal everyday lives seeking to share that good news, not the good news of Caesar, but the good news of Christ, the good news that brings great joy for all people. Every time around this time of year, there's a poem that I find myself pulling out. It's a poem by the late theologian and pastor and civil rights activist named Howard Thurman. It's called The Work of Christmas. And there's this one line in the poem that my eye is always drawn towards. It's a line that reads, when the song of the angels is stilled, When the sky, star in the sky is gone, when the kings and the princes are home, when the shepherds are back with their flocks, it is then, it is then that the work of Christmas begins. And what is the work of Christmas, Thurman says? But to go out and to find the lost, to heal the broken, to feed the hungry, to release the prisoner, to rebuild the nations, to bring peace among others, to make music in the heart. Friends, what the shepherds witnessed to 
is the fact that the manger, it's not the destination. It is only the start line. For it is from the manger that each of us is sent out of these doors into the cold air of a day like this one to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news of great joy for all people. Now there, there's something worth pondering. Amen.